This is Off the Set with James Tolley. Okay, let's get right into it. If you have listened to other episodes of this podcast, you watch me on Good Morning Tampa Bay, ABC Action News in Tampa, it'll come as no surprise, I love movies. Not just because I took a couple of electives back in college, a couple of film electives, but because it is really tied to my childhood. My dad loved movies too, and he was always showing stuff to me and my brother growing up. We watched all of the James Bond movies, for example. I will talk about in this podcast a story of how my dad got me the Back to the Future box set right after my parents got divorced, and it was a Christmas we spent together, the first Christmas that we spent with my parents were separated, and we had Back to the Future, and we watched those. So movies have always been just a really big part of my life, and enjoying them, and going through different decades of film, different actors, whatever else. There's only one of the guy I know, a friend of mine who is into movies as much as I am. His name's Andrew Kozak. He's a meteorologist in Columbus, Ohio. He and I used to work together many years ago, and we've remained friends. I'm going to bring him on. He has his own podcast that he'll plug here. You should check that out. He's doing a great job, working really hard on that, getting some good conversations together and, and bringing it into the podcast world. So on this episode of Off the Set, it's going to be all about the flawed movies that we still love. Here's Andrew Kozak. This is our second crossover. Andrew does a podcast, uh, and you were just so kind to let me on yours to talk about music videos, our favorite music videos. And I had a lot of people really close to me, very concerned about my well-being after I promoted Spice Girls' Wannabe and was very... We talked way... We talked way too much about that video. <laughs> we did. We did. So tell, tell us about your, about your pod and how you and I decided to really get in on the ground floor of this thing. Well, you know, we we both uh, decided that we have we wanted to do this, and now we have the time with you know the pandemic and everything like that, and a little bit more time at home. Uh, my podcast is called Just Press Pause, and since I'm a meteorologist, I start a little bit of weather. I call it water cooler weather, just something interesting. The last one I did was talking about the different types of thunderstorms, just something that you can kind of absorb. I try to keep it between about three and five minutes because right. let's be honest, you you talk any more about the weather after that, it kind of gets mundane. Well, that's not true. I mean, I you know I have to listen to Greg D talk about it pretty much for you know every. <laughs> but you have no choice. Hours every morning. Yeah, it's just true. <laughs> that's true. You have no choice. You no, can't walk Greg. out. I love Greg. Uh, I, lo- I love you too, buddy. You do. You both. Do. You guys are both really talented. Do great job. And I know Greg. Greg. Greg's a really good guy too. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and then I go on to like a guest. I have somebody interesting on or we have a conversation with you. I've known you for years. We've been friends. We talked about our music videos. Uh, I've had the, you know, the guy who voiced uh, Krang from Ninja Turtles. Yes, you and, did. Yes, you uh, did. Yesterday, I had the, the guy that runs the Young Professionals of Columbus. So just kind of interviews, interesting people. I, I'm not exactly sure where the direction is yet with it. But, I, you know, you and I discussed these are sort of passion projects of ours. They're passion projects. It, it's, uh, if I have to say the word creative outlet one more time on here, you know, I, I'm going to lose my my freaking mind. But that's yeah. really what it is. It gives me that 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 place to talk about things that really interest me and let people kind of into my my world a little bit and the things that I, I enjoy to do and, and watch and, and enjoy. So yeah, that's that's basically what I'm what I'm trying to do. Today we are doing movies we love that are flawed. And I love it. flawed movies that we love and embrace over the years. And we both have picked three and we have some honorable mentions in there as well. Yeah. So I'm gonna give you the floor and let you start. I'm thinking there might be some overlap, but even if there is that's fine. So, well, there's there's one movie that you and I have talked about 
I feel like it wasn't even re just recently. I feel like we talked about this when we worked together back in like 2012, but or 2011. Uh, but that movie, which I'll let you introduce, we'll oh. talk about that. That's not on my list because I figured we both would just discuss that. Yes. So. All right. Go ahead. Buddy. Okay. I'm going to start off with, uh, <laughs> and this is not a surprise, The Lost World Jurassic Park. Yes. Yes. Otherwise known as Jurassic Park 2, came out in 1997. The Rotten Tomato score is a surprisingly low 51%. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with that. <laughs> no, I didn't I, think you would. <laughs> <laughs> or it wouldn't be on this list. Um, here's my thing. The, the, there's no doubt that the magic and the awe of Jurassic Park across the board, everybody agrees with that, right? The Lost Word came out. It was still very Spielbergian but it was a little darker. I think he knew that he couldn't just redo Jurassic Park. In fact, little tidbit, The Lost World Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton actually wasn't a book before the movie. It was after the success of Jurassic Park that Spielberg convinced Michael Crichton to write a sequel to Jurassic Park so that he can go ahead and make a movie. Uh, the book was great for the sequel to Jurassic Park, The Lost World, but the movie was way different than the book, other than a couple of character names and the fact that there was that second island there was no real similarity between the sequel book and the movie. I liked it. I think what he did was try to put it in a totally different direction. There was a scene where, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Sarah Harding is the character, Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore is in a trailer, falls off the cliff. No dinosaurs in this scene, in, in this specific scene, but she's on this pane of glass mm -hmm. and it's starting to crack. And that to me was one of the most intense scenes in any Jurassic Park movie. In it the was, entire it was so intense. And we were talking yeah. about this and I, and you brought up, you said there is a scene in this movie that doesn't involve dinosaurs and it might be the most suspenseful one. And ingrained yep. in my mind for a movie I haven't seen in probably 20 years, I thought right away about that trailer hanging over a cliff and the pane of glass shattering underneath right. them. It was, it, you're right. It, extremely well done scene. Right. My 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 flaws with this, because I know we're not to move on and I want to hear your, but my flaws with this are A, uh, the marketing for the movie was something has survived, which doesn't really make sense because at the end of the movie, nothing was killed. You know what I'm saying? Like they yeah. left the first island. Now in the books, they they nuked the island and all the dinosaurs were dead. And to be honest, there's a, there's a deleted scene in The Lost World uh, that was on the DVD where they discuss before any of the stuff in the movie happened, they discuss that they dismantled and took away the first island, which we know they cut for a reason, because when Jurassic World came up, you find out that the first island was never nuked. Yeah, They just left the dinosaurs there, and they were, you know, basically stayed there on their own. Uh, but that, and the other thing is, when the ship carrying the T-Rex comes to San Diego at the end, and they're watching it basically on the little ship radar, you know, go into the pier, that ship was traveling that fast for hours. And they only started getting concerned when it reached the shore. At right. what point an hour to, hey, this ship is going 50 miles an hour. Maybe there's a problem. There's but no, they all just realize there's a problem right before it hits the pier. Just a bit of a continuity issue there. Yeah. I think the first problem is what you said about how you, you're you taking uh, material directly for a movie. So, you know, the book, which had been highly successful, was made into a screenplay for the first one. Right? right. And now you're trying to kind of craft a sequel just based on success, which almost never works out well. I mean, you, mm -hmm. I don't think there's any instance where a sequel is better than the original when you had to make it directly for the screen or based on demand. I'm right. thinking of like Back to the Future 2 comes to mind because they've talked about for years about how 
at the end of the Back to the Future movie, the first one, which is a brilliant movie, like one of my favorite, but I have it's like- It's one of the best movies ever made. It really is, and I have, I kind of have this this emotional connection to it because my parents had just divorced, my dad, it was the first Christmas after that happened, my dad got me the box set of all the three Back to the Future movies, and we watched it on that snowy Christmas morning, it just always resonates with me, but it's a great, VHS. the first one's great, yeah, it, actually DVD, DVD box really? set. Really? Yeah, original oh. DVD. Um oh, wow. But, I guess that was 20-something years ago, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it probably, yeah, it was about 20-something years ago. Anyway, the first movie ends with To Be Continued. They never planned to have a sequel for that movie. But based on the success, they drafted one. And honestly, it's pretty good, but nobody would ever say the second Back to the Future is better than the first one. It just doesn't work out. No, way. no. Usually the second movie, well, there's a, probably a couple of franchises where the second is better than the first, but not in that case, for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of like emotional connections and how you and I have remained friends for so long now, I mean, it's been over 10 years mm -hmm. and we've just always stayed in touch with each other despite living on opposite ends of the country at some points and then you know never really being that close together i remember the first time i met you i went into the weather center when i worked for tulsa we met at the fox affiliate in tulsa we both worked there mm -hmm. and i just had such a great connection with the meteorologist at my previous station i thought well i'm gonna go introduce myself to this guy and see you know like hey i i'm new here i i just i got along really well with and i was so new in tv i'm like i got really i got along really well with the weather guy at my last station maybe you and i can get along and then yeah. it started a who knew it started this great friendship so yeah it's just awesome. i remember when you came in on your interview and i was uh todd showed you the weather center yeah our news director right yeah, yeah i remember that i remember that yeah okay enough of that schmaltzy stuff let's move on to my <laughs> first one <laughs> i was gonna go with forrest gump and the, the the biggest, I'll give you a little plot synopsis. Slow, everyone knows this movie, but this will just set it up. Slow-witted Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks, has never thought of himself as disadvantaged, and thanks to his supportive mother, Sally Field, he leads anything but a restricted life, whether dominating on a gridiron as a college football star, fighting in Vietnam, or captioning, or uh, captaining. Is that a word, captaining? Cap yeah. Captaining, or, yeah. Or how about this? Or being the captain of there a shrimp go. boat. <laughs> Forrest inspires people with his childlike optimism, but one person Forrest cares about the most, maybe the most difficult to save, his childhood love, the sweet but troubled Jenna. Mm -hmm. All right. Forrest Gump won six Academy Awards. Best oh. Picture, Best Actor, Tom Hanks, Best Director, Robert Zemeckis, Back to the Future, by the way, um, Best Visual Effects, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Film Editing. But, Andrew, I gotta say, that running scene is just... Awful. In fact, I think it's the dumbest scene in the greatest movie I've ever seen. I've 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 often thought about you know when you want to say something but you're afraid you're going to offend people. Sure. Well, that that's that that happens a lot. With yeah, I kind of feel like with with what you described, I feel like if I'm in a room full of people and I said what you just said, somebody might be offended because it's typically this movie is put up there with like the Shawshank Redemption as a perfectly unflawed movie but i agree for with some you 100 for it's, some people i i agree with you i mean just to set it up he's basically at this crossroads in his life he's out of the military he just became a ping pong champion which is also a little weird but kind of funny it's a humorous right. little part of the script and he just decides i just started running one day and then they go on this and he just runs for no reason and it's like celebrated and people follow him it's just it didn't connect with me it's stupid it's um I, I what, did you, I, what did you what word did you just use for our conversation? Schmaltzy? Yeah. I think it's a little that. <laughs> I yeah. will I will say the bad running scene sets up, though, maybe one of the better moments in the film when Jenny's dying 
and we can do a whole conversation about Jenny and how she may yeah. not have been a great person at all or really terrible to him. She's dying of some kind of unnamed disease. The speculation is maybe it's AIDS, maybe it's <clears throat> something like that. Anyway, he tells her on her deathbed that of all the beautiful things he's seen or saw during that run, and there's little flashbacks to him seeing a sunset over a beautiful crystal lake, you know, or maybe it was the snowy mountains in Colorado or something. Um, despite all the beautiful things that he saw during that run, she's still the most beautiful thing he's ever seen, which is a really poignant moment and very effective in that storytelling. Yeah. But I got to tell you, for a movie that's like so widely praised, that scene is just bad. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because there are, I could name a, a bunch of Tom Hanks movies where uh, there's very few bad scenes or maybe something that you just maybe didn't like. But that I think is just, it's so 180 from the rest of the movie. Uh, it is yeah. right. It is. It's, it's, it's almost like it's almost like it, it was it added in at the last minute, like the way or or like was that the first cut of that scene and they lost the footage from the other takes? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. But other than that, everything Lieutenant Dan does is great. Yeah. Um, his his moments when he shows up to be his first mate on the captaining or being a captain of the <laughs> shrimp boat, whatever, and then thanking Farce for saving his life after that big storm. Um, those are really awesome, incredible moments. They give you like those chills in the back of your neck when you're watching a movie. It's hard, hard for movies to do that to me that Forrest Gump yeah. did it a lot. So there you go. There's my, that's my first one. Um, I just think it's a major flaw. It's huge flaw. And then people have criticized yeah. Tom Hanks choice and how he played Forrest as kind of the, we mentioned yeah. like slow witted, which I guess would be the most po politically correct term. He was a little, he was kind of on that, that borderline of like a special needs type of child. Right. And he yeah. decided to play it one way. I think some people, that's maybe not, you know, not everyone's 100% on board with that, but he won the Academy Award for Best Actor. So at the it time, makes me it wonder, great. it makes me wonder if that movie was pitched and made today, how he would have tackled that character any differently because of, you know, things society, believe it or not, has changed in the last 25 years. So. It's changed a lot. I don't know if it would be as, as accepted now as, yeah. as it was back then. You're, you're yeah, probably right. Interesting. But he is America's dad. He's he's yep. American treasure, Tom Hanks. So he can pretty much do whatever he wants. And he's David Pumpkins on yes. Halloween. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> All right, buddy. That's my that's my first one. Okay. All right. So my second one is kind of an oddball choice in many ways. In fact, I think the movie entire movie could be described as odd, oddball. It's 1992's Batman Returns. Oh boy. <laughs> and and I, here this movie is a conundrum wrapped in a riddle, wrapped in a Enigma wrapped in a I have no idea. So some people remember that the 1989 Batman, you know, Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, that was the first time that Batman was really depicted as a darker, not just character, but just a darker uh, movie altogether. You know, Gotham City was, it was Tim Burton. Gotham City was kind of this weird, I want to say whimsical, but not in a fantasy bright way. It was dark and all the buildings were, were, were put down into the street rather than in mo in real life away uh just the just the architecture of the i mean the city itself was like a character but it everything felt like halloween gritty yeah everything was gritty and these characters lived in this crazy metropolis of a city that you know and that was life mm -hmm. now you could tell that the, the the people put the strings on tim burton because he's very strange for the first movie once that did well then he goes on to Batman Returns. Michelle Pfeiffer, that's a reason to like the movie, of course. Michelle Pfeiffer will always be Catwoman. Yes, uh, Danny, Danny DeVito is the Penguin. But 
this to me batman returns it's it's flawed in many ways but it's also like an amazing spectacle to watch it is mm-hmm. not a batman movie really it's a tim burton movie featuring batman yeah and and you know from the very first if you watch the first couple of minutes of batman it starts off with peewee herman playing the penguin's father in a flashback mm-hmm. with somebody else from the peewee herman movies but i forgot her name and the penguin's a baby and clearly deformed and they go and they dump him in a river and it kind of fast forwards eventually to you know the, the present time and there's gotham city again it's the same city as in the first batman it's a little bit more crazy there's face statues everywhere everything's dark they made the movie kind of like a sound stage like you knew it was a sound stage they weren't trying to fool you that this was like you know real life and there's just so many different weird things about the movie to me, what's flawed about it is you never get Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. You never get her plan. You know, the Penguin wants to, you know, pay, pay back society for being dumped and not accepted. But Catwoman, she gets pushed out of a window by Christopher Walken. There's my Christopher Walken again. During, on my <laughs> podcast, I was talking about Christopher Walken. There he is again. Um, but she gets pushed out of a window. Instead of dying, she hits a couple of awnings on the way down. The cats, like, revive her. So she doesn't actually die, but they, and you know, it's never really specifically said if she's given superpowers or if she's just crazy, you know, mentally messed up, but why she fights- It's a very cloudy, cloudy plot. But why she fights Batman doesn't make any sense. And then she finds out that Bruce Wayne is Batman and she still fights him. And that doesn't make sense. She wants to pay back Christopher Walken, her boss, for trying to kill her. But Batman- she doesn't she's not a she doesn't want to take over the city mm-hmm. she has nothing to she doesn't want to hang out with the penguin she she goes along with him for a little bit but there's it's never so i think that there must have been sort of a bunch of script rewrites in my head i don't know well, I, I, isn't there a kind of a very odd way that she gets her powers and you know like like kittens gnawing at her fingers yeah they, or they, they gnaw at her fingers and then she becomes Catwoman. yeah that's so yeah that that's a little cloudy too you know but I, the imagery in that movie and the and the music, it, to be honest, it was almost like a movie version of an opera. If you go back and watch it, very strange. I didn't you tell me one time that you noticed that there's like some of the set design was maybe a little lacking. Like the penguin walks over one of his like ice float things, and you could tell it was cardboard or something. <laughs> it's a little flimsy or yeah. weak. There's there's a scene like that, I think, right? Yeah, there's 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 a couple of there's a couple of weird scenes where you're like. Did they think about that? Did, they, did somebody look at this in editing? Look, I. it was because the thing is the movie was a little bit more out there and serious than the first one, but was also silly in other regards. And uh, there was actually kind of a sexual nature there with Catwoman. Mm. So the studio decided, all right, we're giving this to Joel Schumacher. Don't get me started on those other two because those other two Batmans were supposed to be direct sequels and they were just, in some cases, I think some of the worst movies ever created. That it, could be it, another discussion. That's another discussion for another day. So you're standing up for Batman Returns. Okay, I will I, am. I will give it another viewing. It has probably been 25 years since I've seen that movie, but I will, I will give it another shot. I didn't see you coming at me with that one, but I'll, yeah. I'll give you... I know watch, you like, you like Tim Burton. Watch it again and tell me. But you, yeah. like, you like Tim Burton. You like the world he creates and everything, which is... Yeah. I, I respect that for sure. All right, my next one, number two... Flawed movies that we love. Number two, Point Break. And I'm going to go down and say that this is the best B movie that I have ever seen. Most people just won't think it's a good movie. I I do. I I love this movie. And it's not just Lori Petty taking off her 
bikini with her <laughs> jean shorts still on, which is a pretty captivating scene if you've ever checked it out. But I'll give you a plot summary, a point break. This is the Patrick Swayze Keanu Reeves vehicle. came out in 1992. After a string of bizarre bank robberies in Southern California with the crooks donning masks of various former presidents, a federal agent, Johnny Utah, Keanu Reeves, infiltrates the suspected gang, but this is no ordinary group of robbers. They're surfers. There's the first flaw. <laughs> Led by the charismatic Bodie, Patrick Swayze, who are addicted to the rush of thievery. But when Johnny Utah falls in love with a female surfer, Tyler, Lori Petty, be still my heart, who is close to the gang, it complicates his sense of duty. Really, I don't have one particular flaw here, just mm -hmm. that the whole premise is really hard to buy. Okay? Keanu Reeves, <clears throat> this Keanu Reeves, this FBI, hotshot FBI uh, agent, had an incredible career as a college football player, cut short by a knee injury. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. he's thrust into this, and as a rookie FBI guy, he gets this incredible opportunity with the great Gary Busey to infiltrate this gang of surfers, go undercover. It's wild. It's all over the place. It's directed by Catherine Bigelow, who would go on to win Best Director for Zero Dark Thirty. So she knew what she was doing even back then. There's a lot of dolly scenes where the cameras for uh, the camera would be like on a on a wheel device or something where it moves and follows the action you really feel right. like you're part of it some of the incredible action scenes and there's a scene towards the end where they jump out of an airplane where they're um, skydiving and johnny has to jump out without a parachute now i don't know exactly how they did it obviously keanu reeves didn't jump out without a parachute but it's an incredible action scene and it and even at 19, 1991, I think, I think it's a 92, it's 91, whatever. It's a, it, a lot of years have gone by. A lot of stuff still holds up. But the premise, pretty B-movie, pretty cheesy, pretty, pretty flawed. Yeah, I was going to say, even your description as you're reading it sounds like, you know, a direct-to-VHS or direct-to-DVD type of movie. It's bad. Yeah. It's bad. It is. Uh, you know... For many of the surfing scenes, quick trivia, Patrick Swayze refused to use a stunt double. Keanu Reeves, the same way. A lot of these guys did everything you see in the movie, which is kind of a nice little little footnote to it. I recommend it. I, I think it's it's up there. It's a great... I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go... You know, I can't stand up for its acting. Yeah. <laughs> but I can stand up for this being a, a hell of a thrill ride, even now. And it's a fun movie to watch. I got to admit, I, it's been a long time. I mean, I think I saw bits and pieces when I was in high school. I think it was on like TV at some point. Uh, but I'm I'm gonna add it to the list of movies that when I'm home, I've got nothing to do. I'm gonna put it on and take a look at it again. It just fast forward to the Lori Petty scene with the bikini first, and then go back to the okay. beginning because that'll that that's all really you need to to be invested in this thing. And you know, I'm, what's funny is I can't remember much of the movie, but I, I do. Remember, yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> oh, don't we all? Yes. So that's that's number two for me. Point Break. Okay. All right. I think I'm going to throw another curveball at you with uh, my third. All right, go ahead. It's 2002's The Time Machine. Okay. It's 29% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm going to give everybody a, a little bit of a synopsis because you've been doing that real quick. It's the sa a classic science fiction novel by H.G. Wells. It becomes a big budget adventure actually directed by the author's great-grandson, Simon Wells. Guy Pierce plays the traveler which they give him an actual name in this movie, Alexander Hardigan, a scientist, uh, professor, and an inventor in 1895 New York City. He believes that time travel is possible. Unfortunately, his fiancee, she gets murdered in New York uh, right by Christmas time, and he uses the next few years to perfect this time machine so he can go back and prevent her death. 
Unfortunately, every time it goes back, she dies in a different way. So it's like she was always meant to die. So, so he can't save unable, her, no matter what he does. He can't does. save her. No, so he's unable to change the past. He goes into the future looking for answers, you know, trying to find himself. He goes eventually 800,000 years into the future seeking answers, but instead of encountering a dystopian world or an advanced technological world, uh, humanity's divided up in two different races, the Eloi um, uh, and the uh, Morlocks. And basically the Morlocks eat, the, the they're like these deformed humans that kind of look like monsters, and the Eloi are like, uh, they look like us. And they live very simple lives, and they're calm, and they're peaceful people, but they're used as food. And so it takes a turn. The problem with sure this does. movie is... I, I love the movie. I really do. And I think it has to do with the fact that the imagery, you could tell that there was a lot of passion put into it because it was the great grandson of the guy who wrote The Time Machine who directed it. The problem with the movie is at some point it goes into the future and it deviates quite a bit from the books. And Jeremy Irons makes a cameo as like the super Morlock. And instead of looking like them, he looks like this guy out of a sci-fi movie. He has blue skin, white hair, and he's able to control the Morlocks with his mind. Oh boy! And he knows the he knows Alexander's name, and he tries to explain to him that the world that he's now seen is a direct result of humanity and what they've done. Okay, fine, I'll give you that. You know, maybe we created some problems, and you know things like that. But then he says, just like, I'm a direct result of you. And I never understood that line. Why would he be a direct result of him? So years, I thought about this and it bothered me. <laughs> oh God! And I eventually Googled the hell out of it one day and found that it was actually a line that was put into the movie because of a subplot that was supposed to involve something that Alexander did in the past that caused this to happen. And they cut the scene. They cut the whole subplot, but then they left that line. So that's the flaw. The flaw is not on the director, maybe. The, the flaw is on the editor because they they completely left out an entire scene, an entire subplot of a movie, and then left lines referring to that scene. I just thought I'd look up the Uber Morlock in the time yeah. machine with Jerry Matt. It's very disturbing. Man, it is. I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the Matrix movie where he has to, um, not even the Matrix. Remember in Ghost with, again, Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, the guy in the subway? Remember yes. that he has to teach yes. him how to, yeah. how to basically touch things as a ghost and, and, and you know, mm -hmm. impact stuff? That's what he looks like just with white hair. This is very, very disturbing. It is. It is. It is. Well, that, that kind of is a nice full circle thing to the things that get cut out of movies that are frustrating because I think that, you know, up against the... You hear all the time the friction between studios and directors and producers mm -hmm. about how studios want the movie to be a certain time length. And right. if things don't test well in the test screenings, they make them cut certain things or get it below a certain time. When you're creating art, you know, when you're putting together a film, it's hard to have a time limit, isn't it? And that's yeah. why, you know, a lot of these, you, you know, we could even go into, would this movie have been better if it were made into like a Netflix series or a made-for-streaming-service series right. that, that it had more time to flesh things out and everything else? It's my argument with The Irishman that, that came out just this past year. People said, oh, my God, it's so long. Oh, three and a half hours is so... Well, would you have said that if instead of one big 
fat movie dropped on streaming for your entertainment, by the way. Would you have said right. the same thing if it were like knocked down into three or four parts? Yeah, but I think yep. that you're you're pressured sometimes to watch it all at once or, you know, yes. I, I don't know. It's it's It may be some of that. My flaw with that movie was the computer imagery to make them all look a little younger. I mean, you know what? Take them all out and get them facials before you begin. That would be a lot better because th that bu that bugged me more than anything else. It bothered you? Yeah. A little bit. So the time machine, so that your biggest flaw is, is really that line left in this movie because well, the just, subplot just, was deleted? I, I guess because maybe this is more on me and maybe I'll need to speak to somebody, but because that okay. one line and not making sense of it bugged me for about 10 years until I finally Googled it and figured out that it was just bad editing. Look, you go talk to somebody about that, and then I'll talk to somebody about Spice Girls, and we'll we'll, we'll come back, we'll, and we'll both yeah. be better people for we'll it. circle around. Last one for me, Independence Day, 1996. <sighs> Epic adventure film, Independence Day, strange phenomena surface around the globe. The skies ignite, terror races through the world's major cities. As these extraordinary events unfold, it becomes increasingly clear that a force of Incredible magnitude has arrived. Its mission, total annihilation over the 4th of July weekend. The last hope to stop the destruction, an unlikely group of people united by fate and unimaginable circumstances. There's a flaw. <laughs> uh, right, hold on. We're going to talk about this. So hold, go I, ahead. Hey, work. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out the next couple days. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, seriously. We, you go. We, we get started. We've gone into it. Look, I love the movie so much. And I think I love it because of all the things that bug me. And I just love to watch it and think about how ridiculous it is. But there are some things that really, really work here. It, I'll give you a review by James Bernard of the New York Daily News that came out the weekend that this was released. And this is perfect. ID4, which is what the abbreviation they use for the movie, presses all the current hot buttons with great efficiency, which will make it hard to keep in mind that just because this movie kicks major butt doesn't mean it's a good movie. And I think that's about perfect. It I sums it all up. I made a couple of, and we can go back and forth. Look, Jeff Goldblum, Will Smith, and a star-making turn for him. This was like his real foray into becoming a huge oh, yeah. movie star. Bill Pullman plays the president. Uh, you've got Vivica A. Fox plays Will Smith's um, exotic dancer girlfriend slash fiance. Turn you, doctor in the sequel, but go ahead. They of course, turn doctor. Of course. You have... Uh, the great, um, who the great Randy Quaid <laughs> as a uh, as an al alcoholic um, former pilot who saves the day somehow. Uh, that's that you could have cut all of his stuff, and I think this movie's just fine. That's just how I feel. Yeah, I really think that the first forty minutes of Independence Day is one of the greatest setups to any science oh, fiction yeah. movie of this of this in this particular genre. It's phenomenal. The the suspense it builds and the fear that I remember feeling in the theater as a young kid watching this, like, oh my God, they're really, the aliens are really coming to invade. You see these giant 15 mile long spaceships just explode into the sky and just kind of quietly set up over major landmarks. Something's going to happen. I, I think that we remember certain movies, big movies, you know, when we're in the theater with our family. I mean, I was with my family. I was a kid. So were you, uh, mm -hmm seeing this i just i remember it you know you don't remember so much seeing like you know I, I got dragged to see mona lisa smiles with julia roberts years ago i remember that i saw it i don't remember the whole you know <laughs> random random fact but like independence day i remember where we saw it i remember where we sat 
I remember the two mm-hmm. guys that had a fist fight afterward because for some reason it was in Staten Island and people were fighting after <laughs> Independence Day. But I just remember you, you remember the moments and I and that 40 minutes in that beginning, this you're right, the suspense, knowing that these people were, you know, were doomed, even though it's a movie, it just it hits you. Yes. But then the cracks start to show towards the end of it. And as we get older and we can pick it apart, there's really bad dialogue and some of the characters aren't set up really well. And there's a scene where characters have to meet just to meet. Like I mentioned, Will Smith's exotic dancer girlfriend somehow has to, because the first, the first lady, her helicopter crashes in the midst of this cleansing fire that these spaceships, you know, bring, bring upon the earth. And for some reason she has to find the first lady and they just have to have a moment, you know, to, of like to to basically explain how relatable they really are you know like she says to her um what do you do well i'm a dancer and then of course the first lady says oh ballet <laughs> no no exotic and then the like, first lady hey, says I'm, yeah <laughs> i'm classy first lady and you're a trashy exotic dancer right well let's try to let's find common ground let's, let's find know, common ground this is every, you know, first of all, Roland Emmerich, the director, he hates the world. Oh, he, he destroys, it, blo- in destroys it in every movie. Yeah, for sure. But he always starts off with different groups of people who end up finding themselves amongst a world that's going to be destroyed. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many different flaws in this movie. First of all, the star of the movie, we can both agree. The Fruitopia machine in Jeff Goldblum's office. I mean, 100%. Well, for sure. Yeah, the Fruitopia <laughs> machine was was the absolutely the star of the movie. I mean, if, if it's just so funny that that was placed there just because it's such a 90s thing. Uh, but, but, oh, my God. You know, Jeff Goldblum was basically like if you took Ian Malcolm out of Jurassic Park mm-hmm. and you just said, OK, listen, now you got a new job. You're going to be working, you know, here and then you have to deal with an alien invasion. It's the same character in many ways. It's the same character. Even uses the same line too in in Jurassic Park when he's on the back of the uh Jeep or four-wheeler or whatever it is and the T-Rex is chasing him he's like must go faster. He uses yeah. the exact same line when they're speeding out of the mothership. Some some flaws, just just a few. That's yeah. one of them. The fact that he is able to somehow take his 1996 MacBook computer and infiltrate Seemingly the much more advanced alien technology and implanted computer virus. Right. I, for years, I thought that was so stupid. However, I did a little bit of research. And Roland Emmerich, who helped write this movie as well as direct it. So believe it or not, they came up with this idea because they wanted to put a modern twist on War of the Worlds. If you remember the invading aliens, they were undone in that particular film and writing where Earth's bacteria took them down. Right. They weren't prepared for. So they thought having the virus be technological rather than biological was a really yeah. cool update. Um, a deleted scene actually would have revealed that all modern Earth technology is descended from the alien craft captured at Roswell, meaning really? that Goldblum's ability to craft a virus compatible with the alien technology is slightly more plausible. See, Another why didn't thing they I leave found, that in? Why didn't they leave that in? See that, and and I so I found that while looking this up, and I'm like, well, that there you go, and there's something that what what that's a scene that what could have taken five minutes less, yeah, to have in that would have made a whole they lot of sense. They could have explained they could have explained that when they went to Roswell in the in the in that scene, right? It would have been would have definitely made more sense. And, and I'm a big listener of the Joe Rogan podcast, and they get into a lot of this stuff about you know conspiracy theories. And I'm not a real conspiracy theory guy. I do like uh. listening to them though. And that is a thought that some people do have: is that aliens visited us a long time ago, and they gave us the ability to start crafting this type of technology that has you know 
graduated into what we have now that these touchscreen phones, you have a touchscreen computer you're working on today, um, right. all that stuff, you know, it, it came from a, from a higher, uh, more advanced civilization. Interestingly, though, in the sequel to Independence Day, they show advanced, it takes place in, you know, modern times, right. but they show advanced technology and they say we got that from the aircraft or from the spaceships and from the alien technology from the first movie. So they actually do use that in a plot in the sequel. You know what I'm saying? In other words, the, the events that happened in Independence Day 1 give the Earth people the technology in Independence Day 2, which I thought was interesting and probably one of the one redeeming qualities from the sequel. One of the one redeeming qualities. We can probably yeah. both agree there were a lot of scraps used in, in putting that sequel together. Yes. A couple absolutely. other flaws that I had here. You know, the... I, well, I put this down. <laughs> I told you about this. So the aliens finally attack, and they... <laughs> and they put you know, they they just this cl again cleansing fire comes out right. and destroys every major city in in the world um which by the way looked really good because this is one of the final summer blockbusters to not use a lot of cgi there were a lot of models used um mm -hmm. they created a a replica of the white house which you see explode right. there were replicas of downtowns which you know the the aspect ratio, if you watch it now, this is kind of interesting. Like, you know, you can tell the buildings are a little too close together. Um, yeah. But still, the effort was made, and, and I think it helps it hold up a little bit more, maybe. But there is a scene where this fire is just blowing apart everything, and people are running for their lives. But there is a cutaway shot of a guy in an office late at night filing papers <laughs> just as the fire goes through the office building to blow him back into, uh, you know, into yeah. high heaven so and i'm thinking i remember watching it with somebody and she was like she said what's he doing working right now and she made a pretty good point i mean you yeah. know the world's ending the all the major news networks in this movie are reporting on the end of the world and yet this guy thought you know i'm gonna get in the office and just get a couple of extra things done tonight i don't remember it's so funny because i don't we talked about this we've uh, multiple times uh but i don't remember where i was i was at a friend's house i mean i don't remember what i was watching but i was at a friend's house and it was like mystery science theater 3000 right it wasn't that but it was something and these people were watching independence day and they showed that exact scene and the guy keeps doing this funny commentary over every scene and when the guy's filing his stuff and gets blown out of the building, he goes, well, the world's going to end, but hey, don't forget about that Johnson report due on Monday. <laughs> yeah, <the> TPS <laughs> reports are due Monday. Right. It's just, it's hilarious that, I mean, clearly it was added in for effect, but yeah, the world's ending, but you still have to go file some paperwork. That's, it, <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of Outbreak, which which has strangely become a, a real rewatchable now with everything yeah. going on in the world. But for some reason, an Outbreak with this deadly virus, everybody just has to have a dramatic death. You know, yep. like there's the guy, the pet shop owner who got the virus from the monkey who, you know, when he dies, he has to fall on all of his aquariums and they explode and all the mm -hmm. water's going everywhere. Like everybody had to have a dramatic death. And that's, I think, what they were going for here. Yeah, it's, uh, there, there's a ton of, I mean, my I, one of my favorite lines is, I gotta call my mother. I gotta call my lawyer. No, forget about my lawyer. Like, <laughs> forget about you know, my lawyer. <laughs> the guy, uh, what, I forgot his name, but. Uh, yeah, he's the, he he plays Jeff Goldblum's uh, buddy in the in the movie. Um, he was, he was in, Robin Williams, uh, Robin Williams' brother in um, 
in uh, Mrs. Mrs. Doubtfire. Doubt. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, Harvey, another Fi- very Harvey Firestein. Harvey Firestein. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. A very, uh, another very flawed movie, by the way. Yeah, that's another one I want to talk about. I just the dis- There's a lot of disturbing. That's an honorable mention for me, actually. We can go right into that. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, just the idea of, of him you know, dressing up as a woman and infiltrating his family and having really intimate conversations with his ex-wife while he's dressed right. as a woman. What a manipulative piece of... I mean, come on. It's, yeah, it's just when you really did, you know, strip it away and think about it, like he's right. following her and her new boyfriend around and he's in there yeah. and it's very, it's Ooh, just. It was a drive-by fruity. It was a drive-by fruity. Angry chef in the kitchen. It was I, just really weird. Very. It was what I, you know what I don't, I mean, I don't think it could ever fly today because the thing is, if you want, in real life, you. I mean, look, the guy was a loser. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. But she flew off the handle. She was completely, she didn't think about her children. She she went and, and dated in, in what seemingly was like a week, somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, really, the enemy, the bad guy in, in Mrs. Doubtfire was Sally Field. They tried to make it out to be Pierce Brosnan. And I was like, no, it wasn't. No, he's a good guy. He's a yeah. good guy. I mean, he did it say- Sally yeah. Field. Yeah, and he, and he called, you know, in one, that one pool scene, he called the guy, you know, he's like, he's like, what do you know about the husband? Oh, yeah, the guy's a loser. What can I say? And he's not necessarily wrong when he he's says that. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. It was a very manipulative movie. Uh, one, I will tell you this. Try to search for it because I, could, I couldn't find it recently okay. when I talked about this. But there is, somebody made a cut of a trailer for Mrs. Doubtfire and put in this music and made it like a thriller. It's hilarious. <laughs> All right, I'll take a look. Yeah, I do like those recuts. They also, it, yeah. Yeah, they also did, I probably have to cut this out, but did you ever see how they reinfused the Back to the Future? They cut that and made it made it like like Brokeback Mountain. Yes. Do you remember that? Where there was, there was like yes, a love story between Doc and Marty? Yeah, well. It was like on BuzzFeed or something, yeah. Anyway, real, real quick, back to Independence Day. Otherwise, there's still a lot of stuff that works in this movie that I love. I mean, when Jeff Goldblum and, and Will Smith finally get together and they're going up in the alien spaceship that was captured at Roswell, which, by the way, that's another flaw. Like, why this is like a 1950s version of one of their ships and the mothership just takes it in like nothing's wrong. That would right. be like somebody pulling up with a Ford Etzel in front of your garage with your garage door opener and you just see it happen. You're like, eh, you know, I'm just going to let this, this. There's nothing wrong here. I might fight you on this. I might okay. actually fight you on this. All right. You got to think that it's implied that this race, this civilization, has been around for millions and millions of years. So, fifty years may not be that long. You know what I'm saying? Maybe they, up, maybe maybe new models come out every four thousand years. You know what oh, I'm okay. saying? Oh, okay. Oh, I got you. Okay, okay. So not every summer. There's a new. There's a new spaceship. So it might right. Be. If this, if if this, if this alien uh, technology and and this and this alien race has been around for millions and millions of years. You know, maybe they upgrade every every five thousand. Who knows? Okay, all right, I'll I'll give you that one. Otherwise, there's a lot. I I okay, fine. You you can have that one, but I don't know, man. I, I it's just a ton ton of things that work here. A lot of the dialogue doesn't get on the horn. Takes these son of down. Get on the Robert Loja. Uh, yeah, Robert Loja's fine. Let's let's cut Harry Connick Jr. out of the movie altogether. Yeah, it's fine. Well, you didn't like lighting tires and setting fires. I got no. it, Big Daddy. That was, hey, let's meet with Harry Connick Jr.'s agent. He's a singer, but he wants to make his way into movies. Let's start with a small bit part in a major blockbuster. Yeah, didn't quick, work for me. Quick trivia. Actually, Matthew Perry was was uh, the one they wanted for that role. And really? he didn't, yeah, he didn't accept it. Or it didn't work out. So they, they cast uh, Harry Connick Jr. instead. And the president's role was written for Kevin Spacey. But studio Ooh. studio execs didn't think he was star material, which back in 96, I don't know if he had a lot of huge credits to his name. It's just funny that years later he'd go on to play the president in 
House right. of Cards. Well, eventually he become the president, but right. Yeah, I uh, no, I, I I can't imagine anybody but Bill Pullman. It, again, for all the schmaltzy cheesiness of of that the movie had, Bill Pullman to me was the perfect, especially during that ridiculous speech at the end. Oh, ridiculous! But but years later, you can't imagine anybody else in these roles. You know, it's kind yeah, of like a really well cast TV show that that you know played for a long time. You just couldn't imagine anybody else playing it. It's the same way with him in that. Yeah. Do you want to pop into some honorable mentions? I already I already got it knocked a couple of mine out. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll do two. I'll do two that I got real quick. I am Legend with Will Smith. Thought it was a great movie. I think it made a weird turn at the end. Uh, uh, you know, with the robots taking over and the professor that he looked up to. It was never made a hundred percent clear what the goal. Did he want to end humanity? Did he not want to end humanity? I think it was one of those things again where they may have made a cut to a couple of scenes, deleted scenes, and then maybe perhaps clean up a few plot points. So that was my issue with I Am Legend. I agree. Uh, and also it's hard when you, you know, that the rewatchability is really hurt in that movie when the main character dies like that. Sorry, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> when the main character dies um, like that, it's really, the re it hurts the rewatchability uh, to me. You know, there like, was a deleted scene where, with, with it, that they filmed an alternate ending that's on the DVD that shows where he didn't die. Oh, really? Yeah, and he makes it all the way up to the safe zone. With and he gets out, and he's he, okay. And he gets it. Yeah, I like that scene. I like that ending a lot better. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. I, I was going to throw a couple. You know, Field of Dreams is one of my all-time favorites. It's a, great, it's a, it's a great, great movie to watch with your dad. A lot of people had a problem with Shoeless Joe Jackson, Ray Liotta batting right-handed because Shoeless Joe Jackson, the real Shoeless Joe Jackson was left-handed. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I just threw I this like, in there. Yeah, but I just feel like if you, if you that's a quick, easy research thing and... I know. I, 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 I'm like, why couldn't you just have him bat left-handed? Right. I, 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 I don't know. That a lot of like baseball historians really have a problem with that. I, I part of me says get a life. The other part of me is like, yeah, that's an easy fix. Why wouldn't you do that? Otherwise, it's a great so. movie. Uh, in Signs, back to Aliens, real quick. I have a lot to say about Signs, but I'll just you know leave it with this: Aliens killed by water. That, that's 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 pretty weak. I tried yeah. to watch that one again. I found the setup to be ex excruciatingly slow. I mean, there's slow yeah. burns and things that build the things, but Signs really took its time it's, telling that story. It was story. a sleeper, yeah. Yeah, it was a sleeper. So that's a flawed movie that otherwise had good moments, but yeah. And then on the same vein as that, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I'm not a huge fan of that type of genre, that fantasy. However... Mm -hmm. Those movies were incredible technical achievements. I mean, they were yeah. massive. They looked beautiful. They were wonderful. And Lord of the Rings, the last one, just won every Academy Award. I, mean, I think it still has yeah. the record. It, it just cleaned up at the awards. That movie took forever to end. It took a half hour longer it to had, end than what it, it should have. It had like an hour long ending. It's like the minute you think it's over, you feel satisfied. And then at some point you're like, okay, enough. I have to yeah, go to the bathroom. Exactly. Enough. I've, had it. I've had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree with you there. It was a great movie. I, I'm not a huge, although I loved Game of Thrones, but that's totally different. You know, it Lord is. of the Rings is tame compared to, uh, you know, a Game of Thrones. Game series. of Thrones is your R-rated version of Lord of the Rings. I think it, so, Basically, too. yeah. Basically. I, I call it the Sopranos meets Lord of the Rings. That's a great way to put it. It is. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. My only other flawed one, by the way, that I had was Looper. I don't know if you saw Looper 2012. Yeah. I, look, I actually, I was thinking about putting this one on, but I, and you're the one who told me to watch that back I in think the day. it's a great movie, but at the end, the resolution, I don't want to ruin it, I guess, if anybody hasn't watched it, but for the resolution at the end that the character takes undoes the entire movie, but then characters still have things in their lives that were affected by what he did. But if he shoots himself, kills himself, I just, I just, it, should, it. it but, shouldn't have happened. <laughs> right. The way it right. happened. Yeah. Right. 
So it, to me, there was a major flaw there. But it, the, the uh, Looper is, by the way, one of the only science fiction movies of modern times that was not based on a screenplay, was not based on a book, on a, a on an essay. It was a completely original sci-fi movie. So I got to give them credit. I think the 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 uh, premise was super. It was awesome, but it was it was still a flawed movie. And a couple other honorable mentions for me, and will I will agree with you there? I'm going to go into the bad acting categories. Uh, you know, I'm a I do love the Godfather trilogy, and I've watched the third one, and I just can't get past Sofia Coppola's terrible acting. Mm. Um, she was an amateur; she wasn't ready, and the, her scenes are they're bad, and and it hurt that movie to a point where it's almost irredeemable. Like some people today try and redeem that movie and give it, you know, try and hoist it up and say, look, it really wasn't that bad. Her acting is hard to get by. YouTube that if you have some time today. Sofia Coppola, Godfather 3, you'll see what I'm talking about. Speed. You know I'm a Keanu Reeves apologist. But there's some lines in this movie I just can't get past. The one line I can't get past is at the end, and I just... (laughs) So he's got Dennis Hopper, the bad guy, and he finally has him, and they're fighting on top of the subway, and then they have this final line of dialogue that just doesn't hold up, and it's Dennis Hopper saying, you're so smart, right, Jack? You're so smart, right, Jack? However, Jack notices a low-hanging light heading their way and uses his strength to hold Dennis Hopper's character's head in its path, causing him to be decapitated by the light. Jack quickly grabs the detonator, and as Hopper's body disappears, he shouts, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm taller. <laughs> I just couldn't. I just couldn't get past that. Can I? Can I? First of all, yeah, rest in peace. Well, I'm rest in peace, Dennis Hopper, because I I love the guy. I do too. But in the '90s, he played the same character in hey, every movie. He was he, Dennis Hopper was essentially the same in Speed as he was in Waterworld, as he was in. Whatever Night of the Living Dead movie that John Leguizamo was in, and he even was the same when he played King Koopa in Super Mario Brothers. One yes, of the worst he was. Movies of all time. Yes, it is. Yes, and it and he was, and it is absolutely it's the same exact character. Yep, it pretty. It, yep, it's the same. Played the same guy. He had the bad guy character down. Made him a lot of yeah. money. You know, a yeah. couple of those you could probably see the paycheck sticking out of his back pocket. I'm sure. There we go with the sequel, Speed Two, which was just I thought a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard one to redeem. Cru- cruise Control, come cruise, on, Cruise Control. Yeah, it almost seems like something that was written by the Onion. I mean, I know, I know, it was bad. It was, really it was bad. pretty bad. Well, this was this was fun, man. Going yeah. going spitballing around these these movies. Uh, there's so much more to say about a lot of these, but I think we'll just leave it where it is because. You know, some of these just have to kind of be left where they are. Any final thoughts on I? I you know, I, the other one I put down here, I was going to say, mm-hmm. I didn't want to bring up the Matrix because the Matrix, I don't know that that that's a pretty that's a pretty well revered movie. I, I think yeah. for the most part, people people love that. The Wachowskis, who did the Matrix, also did this movie called Cloud Atlas. And oh, it's, that's the other one I was going to put on there. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how many people have seen this movie. I don't feel like it got a really big release when it came out. It's incredibly ambitious. It casts the same characters who play different characters over yeah. the span of, what, thousands of years. And you're intercutting between these different scenes, and it kind of shows, like, actions done by someone in the past impact and how they impact down the road in the future generations later. Um, highly ambitious, just incredibly confusing and difficult to follow. 
Um, I had to watch it about two or three times before I kind of got it. Yeah, and you have like Tom Hanks is in it, Halle Berry is in it, Hugh Grant is in it, and every iteration of them in the, as the generations go down is much different. Like some of the um, evil characters, this is simplifying it, oversimplifying it, doesn't do this, this justice, but some of the really evil characters in the past become mm. very good people by the end of the movie. And yeah. it's the the things that happen to them and how it, how it delves into that and, and it you know the revolution or right. evolution that it makes is is really fun to see but it's just so hard to follow. Yeah, uh, it, it's a good one. It's it's one of those. I'm making mental notes here because I need to go back and watch that again because it's been quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you real quick before you go. When yeah. I was a kid, I always thought Aladdin was flawed, <laughs> and, I'll t- <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Go ahead, so please stupid. tell me how an animated movie had some issues. If at the end, if when, when Jafar sends him to the end of the earth, yeah, right, and then he comes back to the palace and Jafar fights him as a snake. Well, if you sent him back to the ends of the earth the first time, as soon as you see him, do it again. Keep doing it until he gets tired, exhausted, and decides not to come back. Yeah, why fight him? That's a good. Why point. fight him? Just yeah. keep sending him back to the earth. That's right. Uh, Common <laughs> sense. So that was my. That was my. I walked out of Aladdin as like a ten-year-old, thinking, "Why didn't he just do that?" Or why so, couldn't you like send him somewhere where it would be impossible to come back from, right. like hey, the bottom of the ocean? I don't know. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you know. Anyway, I, I'll tell you one movie that I that I think is not flawed, and I cannot find a flaw. Somebody Go might ahead. agree with me. It's based on a true story. Uh, Lion. Uh, such a good movie. Have you seen Lion? I have not. No. Okay, it's based on a true story of two brothers in India. One of them gets lost on a, uh, he accidentally gets on a train and it takes him to the other side of the country and he can't find his, his mom. He lives in a poor village and eventually he gets adopted. It's, it's, an, it's a true story. And, the, and uh, the guy that plays him was in Slumdog Millionaire. And then it was also um, uh, Nicole Kidman played, plays his adoptive mother. It was an amazing story. And at the end, during the credits, they show the real life guy and his real mother reunited in India. It, it just tugs at you. I cannot find a flawed scene, line, or anything in that movie. To me, okay. it's, it's, a, it's a perfect movie. Watch it. It's an excellent movie. Okay, I will. I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like one recommendation I can make. I will say, I mentioned Field of Dreams earlier in this podcast, that one little tiny flaw with Shoeless Joe Jackson. It's really not my favorite baseball movie of all time. Moneyball is. I, that's, I was going to say it. Same thing with and uh, Brad Pitt. I just can't find any flaws with the storytelling in there and even the, some of the historical stuff and how it actually mm-hmm. lined up with what actually happened. And the way they tied in, in that relationship and the love between a father and a daughter was beautiful. Yeah. And the idea that there's a lot of morals there for, especially kids playing youth sports, that is so important to gather from that. And even though they weren't champions, there was a lot of wins along the way and a lot of small victories that I just that movie hits me pretty hard, and I, I I absolutely think it's one of my favorite, certainly my favorite baseball movie, if not my favorite, yeah. my one of my favorite sports movies for sure, for sure. I, I would say Money Moneyball is up there. I liked uh, sports movies, Any Given Sunday, Friday Night Lights. Um, uh, which one? Oh no, Any Given Sunday is the one with uh, um, Al, Al Pacino. Uh, Al Pacino. Yeah. yeah, that was a great, yeah. that was a great movie too. <laughs> For sure, Jamie Fox. I, I, Jamie Fox. I was gonna say that that remarkably, uh, Creed, the kind of the Rocky reboot 
was so well done. As soon done. as you said that, I was thinking of the band. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> well, my, I'm not sure why. But yeah, well, it came up, Carry on a, on. came up on a playlist I was listening to, and I was like, I think I'm going to just fast forward through this one. Yeah. <laughs> the next song, please, my sacrifice. Yes. Yeah, the, the the reboot, kind of the re, yeah, the reboot to the Rocky franchise and the things yep. they did with that movie. And it was the same director, Ryan Coogler, that did Black Panther. They did a lot of things right with that with that movie, too. I mean, the direction, there's a one fight, one boxing match that is, there's no cuts. I actually haven't seen it. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it, though. You've got, got to see Creed. Got okay. to. And Rocky Balboa comes back, Sly Stallone, which is the role that he was really born to play. And, yeah. you know, he's so good. Makes you kind of get mad at him for all the bad movies that he's done over the years. Like, what are you doing to us, man? You should have this. You should have done this the whole time. Yeah, you know, the effort Worst, he puts in. Oh, like uh, which is the where he played like in the future with Wesley Snipes, Dem- Demolition Man, Demolition Man, which I didn't think was a very good movie. <laughs> no, it's uh, not. It's not worst. <laughs> worst sports or sports related <laughs> movie. No holds bar with Hulk Hogan. Oh boy, yeah, that was that was bad. And Zeus. And Zeus, and if you Zeus. were if you were a professional wrestling uh, viewer at that time, you knew that they brought the guy who played Zeus in the movie into the actual uh, wrestling arena to do a, a an on TV yes. storyline with Hogan. As the it was just oh so bad oh terrible so, terrible movie so, and so there was bad. always that one that, that one guy that always played every jerk in every eighties and nineties movies was the executive jerk yes, in No he Holds was, Bar he was. I can't remember his name but he always like he he was always balding no matter how old, young or old he was he was yes. always on the verge of losing his hair yes he was, he was. always doesn't matter how young he was he always looked like he was like forty two I think I you're talking about I think you're talking about Kurt Fuller is the guy's name and yes, he yes this guy. Absolutely plays. He was the bad guy in Ghostbusters 2. He was bad in yes. anger management. He aged terribly in his 20s and then just stopped. He and stopped. He just played, and, he, he, <laughs> and he just continued to be a jerk yep. for the rest of he, his And when he turned 21, he looked 42 and then looked 42 for the next 35 years. Yes, he certainly did. Well, And then that's it. Hey, real quick plug. Go ahead, plug your podcast again, buddy. Yeah, it's called Just Press Pause. It's on Apple uh, Podcasts, iTunes. Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all that stuff. It's also on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Andrew Kozak TV. And your episode's on there too. Yeah, I, I certainly, we did talk about music videos, our favorite ones. And then Andrew on his YouTube page there, he spliced in all the different images from those movies we were talking about, which is really cool. And it puts yeah. pressure on me to do the same thing with this podcast and put all kinds of scenes from the movies, which I which I certainly will do that we talk Good about. Good luck. Today. I look forward to seeing this in three years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. Thanks for joining me. Definitely going to have Andrew back on the show to talk more about movies, pop culture, whatever. I did enjoy our music videos podcast. Check that out with his. Subscribe to it. Google Andrew Kozak. Go to his YouTube page, Andrew Kozak TV, to watch what we did. Hey, and go to my YouTube page to watch this. It's James Tully Ice on YouTube. And subscribe if you just want to listen to it. No problem. It's available anywhere you get podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. It's there. Thanks again for listening. This has been Off the Set with James Tully.